are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So how do we talk about Advent on this first Sunday of Advent? How do we talk about it? Let's, let's start here. Um, you, you know the person who works at, at Walmart, and for years we knew them as the Walmart greeter, but now they have become the person who checks your receipts when you leave, right? I just struck a nerve, didn't I? Yeah. There, there apparently is some criteria for people whose receipts aren't checked because I'm always watching them just kind of wave the people in front of me on. Uh, maybe a couple or three, but for some reason, maybe I have the look. They always check my receipt. And so one day I'm at Walmart and I've got, you know, walking out, I've got like three bags in this hand all kind of bunched together. And I've got a 12 pack, a long 12 pack of root beer, diet root beer. It's my drink. And, uh, and so it's, it, you know how those things work. You, you kind of hit your hand like that in the middle and there's a little slot and you can pick it up and carry it by the slot. So I'm walking out thinking if the guy sees me like this, he may have mercy on me, you know? He waves the person in front of me by. They have a huge cart full of stuff. And, and he says to me, I need to see your receipt. Now, I looked it up online. Legally, we are not required to show them that receipt. I looked it up. You, you don't have to do it. Now, they can detain you. They do have the right to detain you if you refuse to show the receipt. So just show the receipt, right? And so I'm trying to somehow get to my receipt in my pocket without setting all of my groceries down, but that cardboard deal on the pack of diet root beer ripped. And root beers are now rolling into the all-American pizza store. The lady behind me is chasing my root beer cans like it's her job. And other people are trying to help me because I'm a mess. I've now set everything down. I finally get my receipt out and I hand it to the guy and he gives it a 0.5 second look. Thank you. And hands it back. I have no idea what he saw in that amount of time, but you know, I did it. And so then I'm like trying to get out the store holding root beer cans and bags and arms and getting to my car. I don't know why I do this, but typically when um, they ask to see my receipt, which that's 100% of the time. Um, after they give it back to me, I just say kind of to myself, not out loud, not guilty. And to borrow the word of the day, blameless. Yeah. So Advent. Advent is the season of the year. Where, where we identify with those who waited and waited and longed and longed for the coming of Jesus. But we also are longing for and waiting for his second coming. Here's why. After Jesus lived, died on the cross, was buried, and then resurrected, one day he ascends to heaven. He's just taken up. It's like all of a sudden he just levitates off the earth and ascends up into the clouds. And the angel says, who was there, to the people who watched it happen, just as you saw him go into the heavens, one day he will come again. And so we long for his coming. So what if, as we move through this season of Advent, which is all about moving us toward Christmas, 
And Christmas, by the way, is only 22 days away. Just got real for somebody, right? What if Christmas, his coming, is all about this? Making you and me blameless before he comes again. You say, Rick, what, what do you mean? Well, I mean, I can give you a definition of the word blameless. Let, let's see if that would help. Blameless, according to most dictionaries, says innocent of wrongdoing, without fault, or guilt. So are you? Am I what? Well, are, are you blameless? Are, are you innocent of wrongdoing without fault or guilt? You might say, well, in regard to what? I'm talking about before God. So here's what I'm trying to help us do, and this may make your head spin, and I think it's okay if it does. In fact, I hope it does a little bit. I hope you think with me really hard about this. I'm asking you questions like this. How do you see yourself? And how do you think God sees you when he looks at you? How do you think God feels about you? And do you think about yourself like God thinks about you? Like he actually thinks about you? And so here's what I'm trying to get at, okay? So uh, people waited and waited for Jesus to come, right? And, and that's, what, that's what Advent means, all right? And then Jesus finally comes. That, that's what Christmas is about. And then Jesus dies on a cross in order to forgive us of our sins. That's what the gospel is about. Let me give it to you like this, okay? People waited for the coming of Jesus. That's what Advent's about. Then he appeared, according to 1 John 3, 5. That's what Christmas is about, so that he might take away our sins. That's what the gospel is about. And in him is no sin. Do you understand that without him, we would drown in our guilt. Without Jesus, we would literally drown in our guilt because there would be nothing to do with our guilt. And so this is the bottom line. This is what I want to say to you today, okay? Jesus came, so we, and when I say we, I mean you and me, could be without blame before God, that we could be blameless. You in? You with me? Would you gather so far? Because you're probably thinking those aren't your words. And you're right, they're not. Um, I really get them from the book of 1 Corinthians. In fact, what I want to do through the season of Advent when we come together is use the lectionary readings of the epistles and in each of the lectionary reading of the epistles, you have the same language, blameless at Christ's coming, okay? And so I want to go to 1 Corinthians this morning and read to you some verses of Scripture that I think are really going to be helpful to you. And so let me talk to you for a few minutes before I do about the Corinthian church. So the letter to the Corinthians is obviously a letter written to the Corinthians by a guy whose name is Paul. So here's the backstory. Paul was a missionary. Now, I believe that every follower of Jesus is supposed to be a missionary. 
Every one of us are supposed to be sharing Jesus with other people, right? But Paul was what you call a cross-cultural missionary. In other words, he leaves his home and he travels to other cultures, leaves what's familiar and comfortable in order to go share Jesus with others, all right? So on one of his journeys, the second journey that he took, the second really long trip that lasts for years, he ends up in a town called Corinth. While he's there, he starts talking to people about Jesus, and many begin to put their faith in Jesus. So you say, what did a church actually look like that Paul planted? Well, it wasn't like this right here. It was actually probably several house churches, several house congregations that would meet together. And so Paul plants this church, this kind of network of house congregations in the city of Corinth, okay? Here was this strategy. He would get the church up pretty strong, and then he would leave, and he would point someone else to oversee it, and he would go to another city and plant another church. That's what he does. He leaves, he goes to another city, plants another church. Years later, he learns that the Corinthians are not doing well. The Christians in Corinth were very divided. Can you believe that? Christians that were divided. I know. They were kind of messed up in their thinking about sex, can you believe that? Christians that are kind of messed up and they're thinking about sex. I know. They, they, they got together to worship, but they abused and misused their spiritual gifts. And they also struggled to understand a lot about the resurrection and they disagreed about it. And so he, he writes this letter that I'm about to read to you to deal with these problems. But I'm going to only read the first few verses today, okay? So 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 1, if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles open or your phones out, or I'll put the words on the screen in a minute. So Paul's writing to deal with these problems. I got this meme not long ago sent to me, and I thought it was awesome. It says, if Paul could see the church in America today, we'd be getting a letter. You in agreement? Yeah, me too. If Paul could see the church in America today, we'd also be getting a letter, just like the Corinthians got the letter. So let me take you to chapter 1, verse 1, Okay. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And our brother Sosthenes, we don't know for sure who he was, and we don't think that he wrote the letter also. We just think he was with Paul when Paul wrote the letter. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, this literally means like set apart. These are to be God's people in Christ Jesus and called to be holy people together with all the saints everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus. In other words, you're not the only Christians. There's lots of Christians around the world. You're part of this big family that Jesus came to establish, this diverse family, people from every race that Jesus came to establish, their Lord and ours. Now, we're gonna focus here down. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was typical. Paul often gave thanks. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all kinds of knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony. This is the gospel. Our testimony about Christ. This is when we shared the gospel with you, among you. Therefore, you do not like any spiritual gift as you eagerly, and now he talks about the second coming, wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. 
He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. There is a... um, New Testament scholar who is English, an Englishman. Uh, His name is N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright said, I was on the phone with a friend a while back. And no matter which way the conversation was going, it always seemed to come back to one person, James. Uh, She said to me, well, James and I were at dinner just the other night talking about that. And then in a few minutes, she said, well, you know, James will probably get his promotion before long. And then in a few minutes, she said, well, I think you probably know somebody that James has worked with. No matter what we talked about, it always came back to James. And he said, I could tell that what she was hoping for was that James would pop the question. Because her answer was waiting and ready. And he said, sure enough, in a few weeks, James did pop the question, and now they're married. And T. Wright said, the point I'm trying to make is this, that in our conversations, we often give ourselves away. We talk about something that is important to us on and on, to the point that sometimes we almost obsess over it leaving no doubt in anybody's mind what we are passionate about or what matters to us. And then N.T. Wright says, that's what happens with Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because in those first nine verses, he says some form of the name Jesus Christ eight different times. Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus this. Jesus, 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 did I mention Jesus? I wanted to talk about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Eight times in nine verses, he says Jesus. And N.T. Wright says, I think what Paul is trying to do is help the Corinthians understand. Yeah, you got all of these problems that you guys are going through and you got all these divisions, but if Jesus could become the center of your life, if Jesus could become the center of your thoughts, if Jesus could become the center of your imagination, then all of these problems that you have would probably sort themselves out if Jesus was the center of everything. I think that gives you a helicopter view of the passage. And now that we've got that, let's go to verse three and let's talk about how you get this Jesus. You ready? So you may accuse me of belaboring this point, and I'm going to say, okay, maybe I'm going to do that. And after it's over, maybe I'll say, maybe I did, but I want to make the point really bad. I don't want you to miss it, so I'm going to give it all I got. You ready? Here's how he starts, grace and peace. So when you walk up to somebody and you see them or you pass somebody on a sidewalk or whatever, or probably you've done it this morning as you've passed people in the foyers and the halls at church, you say something like this, hello, good morning. It's, it's like a greeting. It's a, what do you mean by that? Uh, what if somebody stops and what did you mean by that? Well, I, I just meant hello. I didn't mean any. I just been nice, you know. That's what grace and peace is. Grace and peace in Paul's day wasn't necessarily Christian. 
It was just the standard greeting. The Greco-Roman world said grace. When they would say, grace, grace, thank you, grace. You know, grace, grace, everybody say grace. It was no big deal. You just said grace. Now, it's from the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, and it means gift. It was the typical greeting. The typical Jewish greeting was peace. The Hebrew word is shalom, Okay, and so Shalom, my wife and I, we were in Israel just a few years ago and you're walking down the sidewalk and you see a person you don't know and you kind of nod at them and they say Shalom and you say Shalom, typical greeting. What do you mean by that? I, just greeting. What, what do you mean when you say to somebody goodbye? Well, I would just tell them goodbye but just being nice. I'm not gonna see them again. Did you actually mean to say to them God be with you, because that's the etymology of the word, of the phrase, goodbye. Goodbye, the etymology is God be with you. Is that what you meant? Well, I'm okay with it, but no, I wasn't thinking that. I was just, I was just saying goodbye. So what did Paul mean by grace and peace? And here's the clue. He Christianizes it. He Christianizes it because he gives us the source, the origin of the grace and the peace. He says grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, grace means God's grace to you, God's good gift of grace to you, and God's peace over your whole being. Okay, you got that? Then he does something that's typical. He gives thanks he does it in almost every letter, probably except one. Every letter he wrote, the 13, he gives thanks, okay? And so what, what is that all about? Well, it, what does he give God thanks for? The grace, grace God has given you. What is your point, man? Why is that important? Here's why it's important. Because we started this conversation saying that Jesus came into our world so that we could be blameless. But many, and when I say many, I may be talking about some of you. Many believe it isn't possible to be blameless. I've already blown it, Rick. I've already messed that up. That is no longer a possibility for me. It's not an option anymore. I'm not without fault, I'm with fault. I'm not without guilt. I have guilt. I'm not innocent of wrongdoing. I've done wrong and blameless. That ship has already sailed in my life and I didn't get on it. But here's the truth. If you receive the saving grace of Jesus, that's no longer your story and your story becomes blameless. 
If you receive the saving grace of Jesus, that is no longer your story. Your story becomes blameless because it's only in Christ that we can be blameless. It's only because he has forgiven us of our sins that we are blameless before God. It's only because he died on the cross and he took our sins on himself that we're able to stand before God blameless. The only hope that we have, it's all about grace. The grace of God in our lives. Now, you may be wondering as you work through this passage, I'm a little confused because Paul says, I give thanks to God for you. And you're like, how can Paul be thankful for this bunch because they're a mess? I mean, if you read the letter, you get it. They're like divided, they're fighting, they're angry. Sex is kind of out of control for some. It's just, I mean, they're, 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 they're in trouble um, they're disagreeing and bickering over the resurrection. When they come together to worship, they get into it because they're abusing spiritual gifts. You're like, they're a train wreck. But Paul says, if you have spiritual gifts, that means the spirit is active and the spirit is working. In spite of your mess ups, in spite of your problems, in spite of your egos, in spite of your self-centeredness, the Spirit is at work. And Paul doesn't say, I'm hopeful for the church in Corinth because I really believe in you guys. He said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for the church in Corinth because I believe in the Spirit. And I believe that God is faithful. And I believe in spite of people like you and me and all of our flaws, that the Spirit is working in us. If this morning you say, Rick, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm frustrated with the church of Jesus Christ in America today, I get it. If somebody says to me, Rick, I am so frustrated, I feel like the church of Jesus Christ in America today is about everything except, everything except helping people come to know Jesus. We have lost sight of our mission. I'm like, I, I can't disagree. When people say the church of Jesus Christ in America today, they, they, they no longer are kind of like, Counterculture, they're, they're trying to get in flow with culture. They're becoming like the world. I, I get it, I agree. When you say the church of Jesus Christ in America today, they just fight with each other and they get on social media and bicker with each other, I get it. And the only hope I have, the only hope I have is that the spirit is active and at work in his church today in spite of all of our junk. Okay, so here we go. He talks about the second coming. So I, I remember when I was a kid, they had some movies about the second coming. And, and, and maybe well-meaning, but I think the purpose was to try to scare you straight. I'll be honest with you. Uh, it, was, it worked for me uh, to some degree. Um, but Advent is not only identifying with those who waited for the coming, but... It's us waiting for the second coming because the angels said, you see him? You see him go? He's coming back just like that. He'll come through those clouds. I feel like we know so little about it. Um, there's a lot that's vague. I, I, I don't believe that God, like when, when the Bible was finally compiled, God said, you know, I should have put more in about the second coming. I kind of missed it there. I don't think God made a mistake. 
I, I think when God is vague, he's vague for a reason. In fact, Jesus points out his vagueness. And he says, nobody knows the hour or the day that Jesus returns. Nobody knows. Jesus actually said, I don't know. Only the Father in heaven. I, I think what happens to human beings, though, is that we're curious. And if you tell me I can't know something, then I'm like, I'm going to see if I can figure it out, you know. I got this guy that I like to listen to preach sometime, and he'll do something like this. He'll say, there are four reasons why this morning, and I'm only going to give you three because you can't handle the fourth. And he says at the end of the sermon, he just gets stormed by people saying, I want to know the fourth. I think I can handle it. Please tell me the fourth, you know. And I think that's what we do with statements like Jesus. Nobody knows. And you're like, I'm going to try to figure it out. And so Jesus never said, try to figure it out. Here's what he said. When you see the signs, you don't need to live in fear or get anxious. You know at that point that your redemption is near. This is like a good thing. And we're not told to figure out the date. And we're not told to try to pick all the pieces of the puzzle together and get all the charts going, all that. No, what he says is this, though. He does say to do this. He says, be ready. Be alert. Stay awake and pray, 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 pray hard that God will send workers into the harvest field. That's what he says. So here's the question. I think it's the question of the day. When Jesus comes, will you be blameless? When, when he comes again, we got the wreath and everything. Will you be found by him blameless? Can, can I encourage you with something? There is grace for this too. In fact, that's Paul's whole point. Because he goes on to say, he will keep you firm to the end. He will give you the grace to help you hold it between, you know, in the middle of the road. He, he'll give you grace to live this life. He'll give, you, he'll give you grace. God is faithful, he says, before he stops. There's grace for this. There's grace for every aspect of the Christian life. In fact, I love the way he says it, Paul, the same guy in another book, Philippians chapter one, verse six, he says it this way, he who began this work in you, guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna carry it on to completion. Until when? Until the day of Christ Jesus. Until he comes again. So here's what I think we've said so far, right? I think we've said, that Jesus came, we're going to celebrate Christmas in 22 days. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus came, why? So that we could be blameless before God. And then we admitted that it's hard sometimes to believe that I can be blameless. And we said, well, the only way that's possible is by God's grace. He makes us blameless. We can't do that on our own. And, and then we said what's important is that we are blameless when he returns, but we're not left to our own resources. There's grace for that. 
He will keep you firm to the end. He'll complete what he started in you. Okay? So I sat this week and I listened to two people tell me their stories. And the only way that I can describe to you what happened in those two stories is this. It is the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two people sat with me and said, I don't even know how to describe what has happened inside of me. I'm, I'm changed. I'm doing things I never dreamed I would do. I'm saying things I never dreamed I would say. I have a desire for things I've never had a desire for in my life. And all I want is what God wants. It is the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you today, these two stories that I've heard this week has just brought me to this point of strong faith. I believe God can do anything. I believe God can change anybody. And I think that's what all of this is about. Jesus saying, you know why I came, right? I want to present you blameless for when I come again. Completely forgiven. No guilt. No shame. Completely free of all wrongdoing. Being forgiven is awesome. Wow. So, you received this when you came in. Would you take it in your hands? If, if for any reason you're not comfortable participating, you, you shouldn't feel pressure to do so. But if this morning you need grace, you can receive his grace today. It may be that you're here this morning saying, I need his saving grace. I want to be forgiven. Then you can do this act with us and sincerely in your heart say to Jesus, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven of my sins. And you can receive his grace in this moment. If you need his sustaining grace, you're saying, Rick, I want to be blameless. I want him to complete the work that he started in me. Then you receive his grace today. Think about eating and drinking. What happens? It, it eventually ends up in our blood flow, right in our veins, throughout our body. So think this morning as you eat and drink, think about his grace coming into your life and filling your whole self. And so when he was with the disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. So would you open the bread at this point? And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Eat it, all of you. Then he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Poured out for the ransom of many. Saving grace. Drink it, all of you. Father, thank you for the grace that you express to us 
in your son, Jesus. Thank you for the grace that you're extending to us today. I just believe that you're especially near many people in this moment. I love you. I want you to be blameless. Thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I would challenge you this morning just to uh, open your heart and uh, see what else God wants to say to you as we conclude our time together.
something to give God praise for this morning. Amen. As you leave today, receive these words of benediction. May the hope and anticipation that we find in Christ Jesus compel you to be found blameless through the day of our Lord's returning. Thank you so much for being here today. God bless you. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.